Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Tuesday, the 20th of June, letter M for you CME Futures fans out there. This is Market Call, 1 p.m. on the East Coast, which means 10 a.m. on the West Coast. See how I did that math, Dan? Dan Nathan, Guy Adami here. Yesterday, we had a fun day. Did a little serious XM 132 business radio, but we're back with you today on Market Call. Today's Market Call, of course, brought to you by CME Group, Dan, where risk Meets opportunity. Of course, our data provider is, in fact, FactSet. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, it's funny. I got an email from somebody. I got a, a, a bunch of emails yesterday. Um, obviously, the markets were closed for Juneteenth, um, but they're just saying, hey, listen, somebody said, I wish I didn't have this standing 1 p.m. Eastern meeting every Monday because I miss you guys. Well, actually, it was noon Eastern, I guess. That's when we do the market call on Sirius XM radio. But you can listen to it. You can go back and listen to it. If you have that Sirius XM app, go back and listen to it, people. And then I also had somebody say to me uh, in an email, you left us hanging on a Monday. What happened to market call? I said, it's at Sirius XM. We have fun. We have just different sort of fun. It's just an hour earlier on Mondays. The other thing I would say is that we have our on the tape podcast drop guy on Monday with EY from SoFi. That would be Liz Ooh, Young. Just so much. And, a, and on. with Vinny and Porter and you and Danny, what are we doing? What, what, what are, are we doing? That was great. I know you listened to that episode. But oh, I those love it. Guys, you know, we went through almost an hour with Danny, Porter, and Vinny, and we didn't mention Tesla once. Now, maybe that has to do with the fact that I got back in on that short, and uh, it's all up, you know, up by, you know, what? In your grill, in your that kitchen. Thing, that thing is, is a little nuts. Um, let's talk about what we think. What's the push and the pull in the markets right now, guy, we got what about a week and a half left of this fine quarter. Um, we know that the stock market has been gangbusters in this year of 2023. The S and P is up 15 percent. The Nasdaq 100 is up nearly 38 um, percent or so. I, I want to let's just go straight to this. This is the Carl Quintanilla Q, uh, tweet CQ. about BTIG saying that that they've been. I guess they've been saying all year that uh, 2023 is the inverse of 2022. And they're expecting, if that's the inverse, once we get into the summer, watch out, Guy Dami, watch out. The inverse, I I mean, I'm not the brightest bulb in the fixture, as you know, but okay, I'll take that. And listen, if they think it's going lower, then I agree with them. You know, (laughs) I'd have to take a look at this a little closer to sort of do analogy. They said it, you agree with them, it's fine. Don't look closer. Well, I don't know what what's there's nothing that's inversed. It's the same chart, right? I mean, if you look yeah. at the 2022 chart below, and then of course you look at the chart above. I mean, it is very similar. It cuts off in early June or mid June. That's where we are now. So it would be analogous, I would say, um, to the 2022. But you know, what do I? The point we is, picking, are we cherry picking here some no, stuff. No, 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 not at all. I think it's more language thing, and maybe I just don't understand entirely what they're saying, but. 
if in fact they think the market is going to sort of move lower over the next few months, I would agree with that. In terms of the catalysts, and you know, you talked about the push me, pull you for you Dr. Doolittle fans out there, not on your bingo card. Obviously, China's on one end of the spectrum, clearly slowing down. And you know, the importance of China, think about this. If I just told you, you know, the demographic problems that they have in China and didn't say it was China, and then told you that the unemployment rate for teens um like 24 percent or something there's some staggering numbers you'd be like oh my god that's an economy that's in distress but when you put china in front of it people seem to sort of discount it for whatever reason and they think think it's still going to be this huge driver clearly there are issues there as they need to add liquidity to their system something i think is going to break there as well be that as it may that's one of the drivers this u.s china relationship which again you know secretary of state blinken was there he came back and said, you know, they were productive and it's part of an ongoing conversation. He said all the right things. But, you know, there's still no military contact, from what I'm told, at least, between the United States and China. That's a bit of a problem. So you have all these cross currents in the form of U.S.-China relations, in the form of the Chinese economy, coupled with that, what we're seeing here with our yield curve and all those different things. It's somewhat problematic. Again, the only thing that suggests otherwise is a 4,400 or at least short the 4,400 S&P 500. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So these headlines here, and, and the, it was the New York Times article guy yesterday that kind of caught my attention. China's rebound hits a wall and there is no quick fix to revive it. And when you think about, again, you know, the easing that's been going on there, this is at a time where, you know, Europe continues to hike into a recession. We continue to hike into what a lot of economists think Will ultimately end up being a recessionary um, environment. And China was the thing, I think, for the better part of 2022 that a lot of folks felt like, well, when they come back online, mm -hmm. that's going to be an engine for growth for the world. And it doesn't seem to be the case, especially when you consider the fact that we do have like heightened geopolitical tensions. And then, you know, this is the one, I, and you and I spent a lot of time on all of our podcasts over the last year just talking about the idea of supply chain as a means of national security. And when you think about the reshoring and some of the moves um, away from China, we're seeing our large U.S. multinationals do it. I think ultimately it probably puts less, um, I, I don't know if you call it emphasis on, on the Chinese to kowtow to some U.S. You know, interests. You know, think about that, right? If we are going to be moving away our manufacturing and moving jobs away from China, then ultimately we're giving them more incentives to continue to do and operate the way that they want to do it. Not to mention the issues, you know, a lot of, you know, Western companies have, have tried to take issue with their kind of, um, you know, humanitarian sort of situations that they have there. And those things, seem to be out the window too right now so like like we're probably giving them license the further we get away from the chinese to operate the way that they want to and you've made this point on many occasions they are literally looking decades out in the future rather than the way we look i guess months or quarters out in the future well, i'd like to think we look months i mean unfortunately i think our attention span is much shorter than that here in the united states and i do think they play the long game in the form of you know years if not decades to your point and I would submit, again, people get pissed off at me, say, oh, you're not American, blah, blah, blah. It's not that at all. I'm just trying to point out somewhat the obvious that it's very hard to defeat an opponent whose time frame is much larger than yeah. yours, when a, an opponent that's willing to lose many battles along the way in order to win the larger war. And I think that's exactly what's going on. And I don't want to get bogged down in this, but it's clear in terms of the Chinese, you know, there is a line of demarcation in the form of, uh, our relationship with Taiwan and our, and I'm going to use this in air quotes, sort of meddling in that situation. Clearly, 
China wants us to have nothing to do with it. And that that's not going to they're not going to wake up one day and say, you know what, we agree with you. I mean, that's just going to continue to get worse. And again, I'm not wishing it to happen. I'm just trying to read the tea leaves here. And if you look at sort of the heightened, well, I don't want to say rhetoric, but for lack of a better word, heightened rhetoric between the United States and China, between China and obviously what they're doing in the South China Sea. I mean, it's a problem. And, but the market, again, 14 VIX, 4,400 S&P, nobody seems to care. Of course, the problem is um, so much, especially this semi move, you think about if, you, if the Chinese rug got pulled from companies like NVIDIA or just you rattle off the different names, that's a problem. I, I, you know, yeah. I don't care what side of the fence you're on. That's a problem. Well, I mean, listen, when you think about what it's meant for our stock market, right? So there's been companies like NVIDIA that you just mentioned have clearly benefited, right, from the fact that Chinese, they know that this advanced chip ban is coming in the next few months where they literally can't take orders anymore, um, you know, from or, or from from Chinese, you know, nationalists. They've tried to get around this. If you don't think that a big part, and I've been talking about this for like a month now since that nvidia guidance i mean this is these are chinese companies double triple ordering trying to get this demand mm-hmm. and 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 if that falls off you know in the next you know month or two you know that's how that that stock fills in that gap but in the meantime it's just like even on a day wow. where i look at my fact set sh- screen guy and like most of the stocks are red you know you know what's up nvidia's up apple's up, apple's up. You know, tesla's, tesla's up, up. You know? yep. it's the same shit all right let's let's look at the s&p 500 you keep mentioning that 4400 um in the in the s&p futures and you look at that breakout going back to last summer it's a great chart. It's a constructive chart. We've said it a hundred times, despite being bearish on fundamentals over the last, call it two months or so, that consolidation, you know, faked us out a little bit, but it was a series of higher lows. And if you look at it, I mean, you know, like um, it, that that's all you probably needed to hear about as far as a trend. So that level, the breakout level, that was 4335 that's support now. And so how do we do there, guy, if we get back there kind of quickly? That's exactly right. I mean, past uh, resistance becomes support. That resistance comes in the form of the horizontal line, the high being in August of last year at that 4335 level. So, you you know, you talk, you open the show with all the different cross currents and stuff. Another cross current out there that you sort of mentioned is month end coming up before you know it. Uh, we're at month end in June, but it's also quarter end. So what's going to happen? Are you going to see the typical... Uh, markups in the quarter end, in the month end, maybe um, does something different happen? But, you know, if you look and sort of really start to, you know, examine what's going on in terms of the landscape, especially when you look at what's going on in the yield curve, I mean, it does not paint a particularly bullish picture. So we can sort of trade sideways to slightly higher over the next week, week and a half in the quarter end. Then the question is, when do we mean revert? And when does that standard deviation or two that were away from the 200-day moving average sort of kick in and get us back down to at least that 4,000 level, which is effectively where it is, if not lower. And I think if you listen to some of the analyst calls that are reiterating some of their bearish stances, I think that BTIG call specifically, I mean, it makes sense that that's probably what's going to happen over the next month, month and a half. Yeah, no, it's interesting that you mentioned, um, you know, like like window dressing. Right now, if you're a portfolio manager, you can just keep buying. Like like today's a great example. The things that work that are big companies. Apple's nearly three trillion. Nvidia's over a trillion. Uh, you know, before you know it, Tesla's going to mm-hmm. be back at a trillion. So you keep putting money there in the the secular themes that you think are working, but the stock market could could actually 
just kind of grind a little bit like we saw in April um, in May. And, Guy, I just want to kind of highlight again, if we look at the S&P on a five-year, you see that breakout. You know, I mean, it looks like it wants to make a beeline to the all-time highs back, back up there at 4,800. But, man, oh, man, I mean, if it does that – you know, those names that we just mentioned, the, the, the Trillion Dollar Club or whatever, I think they're calling them the Magnificent Seven now. I know that you will never. By the way, I will never use that term. Yeah. I, I, I hate to digress for a second. Go ahead. No, I'll never use that term in, in the form of the stock market. What I will tell you, though, is the Magnificent Seven, uh, which was based on, a, I think, a book or an earlier movie, the, the I want to say The Seven Samurai or something like yeah. that. Um, Eli Wallach in that movie, the great Steve McQueen, James Coburn was in yeah. that movie, Charles Bronson, Robert Vaughn was in that movie. I can continue if you want. Well, um, there's seven of them, guys. Eli Wallach was not one of the seven. He was actually one of the villains in that movie. But anyway, I digress. That's a great movie. And the soundtrack of that movie is just fantastic. Back to you. Yeah, no, and, and and listen, so so again, looks looks constructive, you know, call it what you want, cup and handle, this and that, or whatever. Let's look at the VIX. It's just kind of melting here at 14. It's been melting. Um, you know, again, and and that's maybe saying all systems go. That doesn't really want to make me sort of buy this, but we got to look at the NASDAQ futures here because mm-hmm. the, the, the the e-minis here, the NASDAQ 100, I mean, it, it, it literally has gone parabolic. We talk about getting to the August levels in the S&P 500 guy where they've found some resistance. Look at how far above, you talk about standard deviations, how far we are above that uptrend, how far we are above that 200-day moving average. And again, you know, I love it on futures days. We can talk about trading these levels and using tight stops here. And that's what I want to do with the E-minis, the NASDAQ 100 here, guy. You know, today I want to like, I want to, buy or excuse me i want to sell uh the the nasdaq e-mini futures mm-hmm. here at 15,176 i want to put a stop up there less than 100 points 15,269 that's the prior high here from earlier today and again when i put my target down there at 14,000 of course i'm going to keep moving that stop to the upside down commensurate with the move that i have in the move lower if it continues to go that way but i want to i want to use really tight stops here i want to continue to kind of probe these levels okay in the in the nasdaq futures this is going back to the march if we have a longer term chart the march 2022 high that's where we are we're not even talking about that august high yet what do you think of that level here um and a move playing back for that uptrend that gets you back towards fourteen thousand, which is also that breakout level right so if we can put the prior screen up real quick just to show <laughs> so what you're talking about here potentially is sort of a 10 to 1 i mean i'm doing the sort of you know liberal math here but you know, you're basically risking one to make 10 if you look at it through that lens, the way I look at it, number one. And, you know, what you've basically been doing is, and if you can put the chart back up, you know, you've been doing this for a while, but it's okay to get, you know, you get nicked, you get nicked, you get nicked, and then you finally catch it. The key, of course, is when you're right, which you're inevitably going to be right, and, you know, it certainly feels like we're on the precipice again of being right. You're going to let it run. As a matter of fact, as things start to move in your favor, to your point, you're going to lower your stop. You're going to put in a trailing stop. And you actually might add to your short position as it gets more and more in your favor. So the lower things go, the more you could potentially add. That's why you can be wrong. And I say this all the time. Some of the best traders in the world, Mark Fisher, for example, who's a legend in my old world, the commodities world, he would say when he got up and speak, um, you know, he's right 25%, maybe 30% of the time. 
yet he's able to do extraordinarily well because when he's wrong, he gets out. He acknowledges that he's wrong. He takes the small losses. But when he's right and he feels that he's right and he starts to think lever in his favor, that's when he really sort of adds to his position and levers up, which is why you can be wrong more than 50% of the time and still make money, which is gets, it's always funny to me, people on Twitter or people in the comment section of the different things we say, we do, you guys are at best 50-50. Let me tell you something. For the best traders in the world, if they're 50-50, they're millionaires, if not billionaires, because they know how to trade with that type of risk reward and that type of win rate. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting about, you know, trying to kind of stick to your, your, your knitting here or whatever your, your thesis is. And, and guy, you use the term dogma. I, I am a bit dogmatic here because I go back to, you know, David Rosenberg is another guy that we Rosie. a lot, Rosie of Rosenberg research. And, you know, that guy, you know, like it's, it's one thing you could say, ah, oh, he's perma this. And we, we, I, I hear I'm perma this or this or whatever. Man, you know, sometimes you know you can be right on a lot of the inputs, and you can be right. It's it's the price action that 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 is making you wrong, and 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 wrong is wrong. And when you're committing capital, trust me, I, I feel it every day. Um, you know, it hurts, but by the same token, you know, like if you're setting up for the trade, and we just use that example in the futures, you know, you want to risk manage what you're doing here a little bit. Um, and it's easy to do that um, with futures. Um, it's harder to do that sometimes with single stocks, especially when you get wrapped up into a story, either, you know, bullish or bearish. Um, but that's what I'm going to continue to do uh, with the NASDAQ futures here. And it reminds me, and this goes back to Rosie here. So we had a tweet, he had a memo out at Rosenberg's research, check out his work. Um, I'm a subscriber. I love his work here. But he's, do you believe in magic? And, you know, he, he's going back and he's talking about this period guy. And, and I've used this, you know, what's going on right now with AI, what's going on with the breadth of the market or what's been left behind here reminds me very much of late 99, early 2000. And I really think it has the potential to play out very similarly. I don't mean that the NASDAQ is going to go down 85%, but I mean that there is risk that the NASDAQ could be down 30 some percent. The higher we go here, based on the narrative around 10 stocks in the market is the harder we will fall if it doesn't materialize quick enough. And if we are in a stagflationary environment, if we are in an environment where China is not going to be picking up some of the, are doing a bunch of the heavy lifting after, you know, the baton is passed to the U S and Europe's in a recession, then I really do think that there's going to be a growth scare in the not so distant future, both here and abroad. And you're going to see some of these very overvalued stocks that are not going to be able to commercialize a lot of these processes. They're going to come down really hard. It's going to take the whole market with it. You know, people are reticent to um, compare what we're seeing now. And if you could put that slide back up real quick, because I think it's important to what happened then, because there was an obvious bubble then and people really want to stay away. But just look, look at just I mean, everybody here can read. But I'll point out a couple things. Extreme sector concentration in the stock market. This was ninety nine, two thousand. Well, guess what we have now? Look at this one, though. Coming off 175 basis point Fed cycling cycle from the June of 99 to May of 2000. So it's effectively a year. Think about what we've done. But here's the one that I love. Well, I love them all, but a prolonged phase of yield curve inversion, widely viewed as a relic from the past. We've had so many people come on, not necessarily our shows, but on the network, maybe on Fast Money, and talk about how the inversion doesn't really hold water anymore. It's not as important as it used to be. Why not? Because it doesn't basically lend itself to your narrative. I mean, all of these things that Rosie pointed out are things that we obviously saw 23, 24 years ago, 
but we're seeing it now. And it's remarkable to me that everybody seemingly wants to discount all this stuff. And again, it's the old thing. It's different this time. No, it's not different this time. And as a matter of fact, in some ways, it could actually be worse this time when you layer on all the debt that's out there as well and the extent with which interest rates went higher. So, yeah, I mean, I can understand why people want to look past it. And again, when the S&P is 4,400 and seemingly only, what, 10% off the all-time high, everybody seems, you know, everything is fine. But go back and look at history because in this case, I'm pretty convinced history is going to repeat itself, Dan. We're getting guy, you know, during your that little um... – uh, soliloquy. I was diatribe. At, I would no. I was looking at some of the comments. We're kind of getting, kind of getting fricasseed a little bit in here. But there, here's here's one from Jay Ford. If, people if, can fricassee all they nah, want. It's I mean, okay. It's okay. Jay Ford at one seventeen. Um, he says, "What's the odds that Dan and Guy go bullish in the first check back um, to the two hundred day moving average?" This is actually a really good and constructive uh, comment. Um, and and I will tell you that I have been in the camp and I've said it again and again on market call over the last call it 18 months. I have, if you have a medium term or intermediate term to longer term time horizon, you should be dollar cost averaging on, on the portion of your portfolio that you do not deem to be like a trading sort of thing. Okay. And so if we went to 4,000, which is basically the uptrend from the October lows, which is also very near the 200 day moving average, of course you should start dollar cost averaging there. But I would not be dollar cost averaging on the way up right here on what appears to be an, a, you know, a parabolic sort of move and definitely in the NASDAQ. But you got to pick your buy points and that seems like a good technical one because if we are in a new bull market, I don't know and you don't know, okay, then a check back of 10% to a technical level based on over exuberance, right? Where we are right now, look at all the RSI readings and everything like that, the bull bear stuff and everything like that. That would be a good place to put some capital work. Now, could it go down another 10% to 3,600, which was the October lows? Sure. But then you would add there, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, if you add an equal amount at 4,000, an equal amount at 36, then your average is 3,800. Let's say it's worst case scenario. Let's say we go to 3,200, right? You continue to do that. And then hopefully in two years from now, you have an average of 3,600 in the S&P 500 and the and we're back at new highs at 40. I mean, what, you, you get my point here. It's like, you got to move your feet a little bit. I'm just not going to chase this crap right here. All right. So I don't know if we could pull up a longer term S&P chart, sure. but if, if we can- How long? It's worth, How, what do you want, guy? Well, go back a couple of years because there were- if you go back to the the fall of 2021 when this whole Fed stuff started, and then look at what happened in 22, there were two times um, to be bullish last year. It was in June, and if you recall, we actually pointed it out. I want to say it was June 15th when the VIX traded about 34 and a half. We said, "Okay, this is a bit of an inflection point here." Feels like all the negativities in the market in the form of the VIX. The market exhausted itself. We thought the market could rally 15%. Basically did that. Again, in October, um, we talked about the same setup. You know, October, we made the new lows. We talked about how the VIX traded 34 and a half. All the sentiment was negative. We said, here's another opportunity. The market's probably going to rally 18 to 20%, which is exactly what happened. The only time really, well, where I've gotten myself offsides is it's since December when things have obviously grinded higher. That's where it's been confusing for me, and I think for a lot of people as well. But in terms of being bullish in a, in a 
environment where you're overall bearish. Yeah, it happened. It happened twice last year and it proved to be the right thing to do. Now, to answer the question quickly, I have no idea what I'm going to be if it checks back to um, the, the 200 day moving average. I mean, the world could look much different then. In theory, if you're asking me now, yes, that would be a logical place to stop and say, OK, maybe you want to be tactically bullish, but it's impossible to answer having no idea what the causes are going to be, Dan. Yeah, no, that that's that's fair. And and again, you know, um, but, you know, for a lot of you who are not tracking this on a day to day basis, every tick the way that guy and I seemingly do here, um, you know, you want to pick your spots. You do want to buy dips with, an, you know, intermediate to long term sort of view. That's just a fact. And that's I've been consistent on that, that whole downdraft in 2022. So I'm not changing my tune there. And it doesn't mean if I'm saying, listen, I'd be a, a buyer of some at 4,000. All right. We're, we're, I, I'd be labored um, that point. Let's go to yield. You talked about the yield curve. Nostradami, you, you've had this one pegged. When we got as, as narrow as 45 basis points a couple of weeks, you thought it would really widen back out to 1% here. Um, you've been talking about things like stagflation. That is really, I think, being articulated here between the 210 spread. You know, if we look at the CME Fed Watch tracker for the July meeting, it's suggesting that um, there's a 75 basis po- or 75% chance that we're going to have another 25 basis point hike okay that gets us on the upper end to five and a half percent in fed funds so the two the two-year treasury is hanging in there but the 10-year is telling a different story right and that's how we're getting wide on this 210 spread and it's speaking to stagflation we had anastasia amoroso from iCapital on on the tape podcast that dropped last friday we were talking about you know the lag effects of that all that rate hiking and then the the lag effects or, or what history tells us the, the distance or the, the from when a yield curve like the 210 inverts and how many months it takes, right, to, to have a recession. All those things are screaming that we're going to be in a recessionary environment, except the stock market is telling you that we're having a soft to no landing. And I think a lot of people might have misinterpreted what the Fed didn't do by raising interest rates with that pause, right, last week or so. So, so make some make some sense to the 210 spread, you know, we're, we've been inverted for a very long time. We're getting back towards the wides here. What is the stock market guy missing? And then how should some of our listeners here, or our viewers, think about how to trade this? Because it's not easy, man, because we do have inflation still at 4%. We, you know, so if you look at where real interest rates are, they aren't that particularly high, mm-hmm. right, relative to inflation. Well, I mean, we went inverted, I want to say this time last year. And so we're 13 months or so into this thing, and it's showing no signs of abating. As a matter of fact, it's getting worse. And this next time down, I mean, I think we're at 95 or so basis points now inverted. It may be even a little more extreme. If the market were to sell off, which, again, I've been saying for a while, I think it's going to happen, you'll see a flight to quality in the form of yields, 10-year yields specifically, which means yields in the, in the back end will go lower. But the problem, of course, is the front end's going nowhere only, by the way, if not higher. So you're going to see that continued widening out. And for people that tell you it's not a big deal, it's different because of the different dynamics going on, it's, it's, it is a big deal, trust me. And the fact that we've been inverted for this long and nobody seems to care is just proof positive, again, that something's going to break along the way. One of the reasons Silicon Valley Bank uh, went under is because of exactly what you're looking at here. They were unable to manage the risk or didn't understand it. You think they're the only one? And again, with the inversion now getting steeper again, 
they're going to be more dominoes to fall. So this is not a healthy environment. And it speaks to slowing growth, persistent inflation in a word. I mean, if you want to look at what it's, if you want to see what it looks like on a chart, this is what it looks like. Yeah. So the other one I would say, Guy, and this like loops into everything you're talking about, slowing growth in China and everything like that. Let's look at crude oil here. We spent a lot of time on crude here. Um, you look at this sort of 70 level. We've highlighted on many occasions. You've seen that there's been some kind of sharp dips below it, but it's kind mm -hmm. of gotten back um, above. But but in the last two months or so, it's failed at this downtrend. You see the downward sloping 200 day moving average. It's up there at 78.39. Um, I'm looking at this downtrend 72 is I think is kind of really important resistance. I think we're probably going to have one more move guy lower towards the lows of this last kind of three or four months or so. So I'm looking at the futures here. I'm looking at them around 70 and I want to put a stop. I want to sell this too. And I want to put a 72 stop up there. Um, and in my target initially going to be down towards those lows at 64, 64 so, 65 that's yeah, right so you see what i'm doing here i'm risking one to possibly make three if it goes below meaningfully below 70 i'm going to move that stop down and continue to trail it a little bit and, and listen you know i just look at the xle and this is one that it's been one of my final trades on on fast money probably once a week for the last few months or so i'm a seller here of these large integrated oil stocks here i really do feel like it's going to break that 75 level here but i guess i want to play it right here with crude oil thoughts on this one here well you've had it right and every time crude seems to be breaking out to the upside and it's happened probably five or six times over the last i don't know four or five months it's been squashed and this is the latest iteration when again last week it looked like crude was on its horse and then you walk in it's down a percent and a half two percent and it's going nowhere so every time it fails it's seemingly another sort of nail in the coffin for people that are trying to play from the long side so i think your trade makes a lot of sense. And the XLE, you know, if you look at just the different things, the different components that can't get out of its own way. So, you know, we obviously rallied into the fall. It's not probably coincidental that this entire thing topped out right around Chevron announcing their $75 billion stock buyback. That's in retrospect, I know, but it, it, it actually makes sense. And the next obviously leg higher stopped when ExxonMobil reported their earnings and traded up to 121 or so about a month and a half or so ago. So, it all makes sense. This downtrend is intact, and you're probably right to play uh, crude oil from the short side, and I think the risk-reward is exactly right in terms of your levels. All right, last one before we get out of here, um, gold. Um, we, we, we see you know, the dollar, it, it's come off of those recent highs here. It's basically flat today. If I'm looking at the Dixie, it's like 102.5 or so, guy, but it's you know, well off of uh, those one-year highs above 114. It got above 105. We played it on market call for a bounce when it was up. It was like 101.5. It got there. Um, you see that downtrend um, that's been in place in the Dixie. But now look at this gold. And, and it's through that uptrend guy from the fall lows yeah. here. And, and it's not acting. And I know like a lot of people who are not in the markets all day long, when they hear um, people like us say acting well, you know, Carter likes to make that point or acting well or poorly or that sort of thing. It's not acting well. You know what I mean? And it should be acting well in this environment here a little bit. And so this is where I think a lot of commodity traders, you rely on charts a great deal. It's one of the reasons why we like to talk about the futures and use the stops here. This one is, is violating a technical level. And you see that 200-day moving average down there. You know, it's what, 1650 or something, guy. Yeah, or 1850, 1850, yeah. 1850, sorry about that. You know, that it feels like we could be there fairly quickly. Well, I think I what I think is going on when the Fed say, when Jerome Powell and, and the group signaled potentially two more hikes this year, 
I think that really put a short-term kibosh on the gold story. Now, that put a kibosh maybe on this the speculative front. Unfortunately, well, or fortunately, it hasn't put a kibosh on central banks buying gold because, as I mentioned a number of times, central banks continue to buy gold. The Chinese specifically continue to sell treasuries, buy gold. I mean, just look month over month what's been going on there. So the price action is not particularly great. The trend line has, in fact, been broken. Is there a chance we trade down to the 200-day moving average? I'd hate to see it, but I guess that's obviously a chance of that happening. But with all the buying going on, at a certain point, it's going to it's going to figure way it's in. It's going to manifest itself, uh, I think, into the price. But right here through that trend line, you have to be cautious. Clearly, if you're just uh, looking at technically. Yeah. All right. And last thing, I'm just going to say this. Um, you know, we started out by saying the stuff that's been working, the stuff that is literally just eye popping, continues to work. You know, it seems like every time we turn on the cameras and you and I, you know, start recording a pod or or, or market call. You know, we start talking bearishly when the market's down. We get a 30-handle rally in mm-hmm. the S&P. Well, we're, we're in the midst of a 25-1 off the lows in the S&P futures. Um, today, there's still interest. Maybe that's the window dressing. Maybe as we get into July, you know, and people start focusing on Q2 earnings and Q3 guidance, maybe that will shift. But I'll just say this. Here's a good example, guy. Look at Intel, and maybe they could pull up a two-day chart of this one. It's down 35 today it opened up it was up two percent and if you look and the, if they'll show like a year-to-date chart too how much this stock had rallied it was kind of late to the game on this uh you know ai i mean amd nvidia they've been eating their lunch for a long time they, this company's missing we don't need to get into that but then all of a sudden a few folks said oh well they have some chips there and they have some capacity there and it's a cheap stock and look at the year-to-date chart look at what happened to this thing um they just ripped it right and so I just want to mention that when you have the sort of move that a stock like this, that is very unloved in such a short period of time, investors who bought this thing are not going to hold on to it for too long if things get nasty, right, guy, if there's any nasty headlines. So just be careful of the weak hands in some of these catch-up stories, you know what I mean? And then you also have to be careful because when they head for the doors in the NVIDIA at the same time or the Tesla, that sort of thing, and again, I've gotten murdered in the last few weeks. I've said it, okay? Bad risk management, bad timing. I think my analysis is correct, and I think I will be correct fundamentally in these things. But you know what? Without good risk management, you get hurt. Intel's an interesting one you bring up before we get out. What you have here is a lot of tourists, people thinking, all right, it's going to play catch up on the back of the broader chip thing. But to your point, if that ends, the first thing they're going to sell is Intel. And obviously the price action, if you look at that uh, bit of a reversal, is not the most encouraging thing. So you're smart to point that out. But we got a 5,000, Dan, as you know. I'm sorry to keep us a little late. That's it for today's market call. I want to thank, obviously, the audience always with us. Amanda, Jacob, Stephen, back in headquarters, as we say. We'll be back tomorrow, which is Wednesday, for market call. I want to thank our sponsor, CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. Of course, FactSet. We will see you tomorrow at 1, folks. See you later.